Hey everyone, it's Andy. I would love it if you would join me in this moment and take a second to breathe. Wherever you are, right now, whatever you're doing, just pause in thought. Inhale, exhale, and breathe. Know and feel you are appreciated and loved. I thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to speak and share true stories of inspiring human beings that have impacted my world. This episode will conclude our first season of Remember This Forever. But please stay connected. If you haven't yet, please subscribe or stay in touch on Instagram and follow underscore breathe yogi. If you've enjoyed listening, please share it with your friends and your loved ones. I hope you become more intentional in taking moments for yourself to breathe and reflect and be thankful. And may you be blessed today and every day. Our lives are our story. So what moments will we cause people to say, I'll remember this forever. The 1920s, a decade people love to remember for the change it brought about in our world. It's hard to imagine living life in that time. It was a completely different world. Things we take for granted today weren't even invented yet. And in this magical decade, in the Bronx, New York, on May 31st, 1923, Mortimer Lawrence Frank was born. Morty, a man with a zest for life. He lived through things we cannot fathom. He lived through the Great Depression, World War II, He loved traveling, appreciated art, but most importantly, he lived his life with intentionality. He was kind, loving, and a truly beautiful soul. He lived to be 97 years old, and in that time created beauty, spread joy, and had a lasting impact on his family and loved ones. I had the privilege of getting to know more the life of Mort and his beautiful heart through stories shared by his granddaughter and my sister-in-law, Lisa. I know that um, he was in the war. Yeah. And he did maps. He did, yeah, aerial maps. I think and some land, I don't know, the specific name for it but he did a lot of maps for yeah just places and would do all this artistic 
work or whatever. Was he always like artistic? Yeah, he, well, I don't know where, he, I think because his, his best friend, so growing up, he had a lifetime best friend. His name was Marty. He met him when he was a little boy. And Marty's dad was a tailor. And so he would go into the shop and they would just mess around with different things. And he kind of would see colors and artwork and just, I don't know, I guess using, with, using stuff with his hands. And so I think kind of maybe created a little spark in him or something. Mm-hmm. But then, yeah, he, he worked and did aerial stuff. And then he took what he knew from that and like did design work in advertising and yeah, stuff like that. Mm. He was in advertising, so I think he sold like electronics and stuff. I don't know. He always, or not electronics, um, big like washers and, and refrigerators and, and those kind of like household appliances. And he was like the artist that um, would put like the newspapers together for the big Sunday sales or things like that. So he worked with the buyers from the store and then he would advertise for them. So whenever there was sales or anything along those lines he's like he would always say it's such a gimmick I always used to work in that industry they just which is true because I also did that as well but um they mark it up to you know mark it down and stuff like that so all tricks of the trade yeah exactly but he eventually left that and then started his own business on the side for advertising and I can't remember exactly if that was also like household appliances or if it was a broader spectrum but he eventually started his own thing. Did he ever have to do like door-to-door stuff? No, I don't believe so. Just yeah. like actually from an office. Yeah, I used to think it was so cool because he had his own office growing up and he had an actual typewriter and like a computer when it came out and I would just go in there and like fiddle with it and the typewriter made noise and I guess not many people had typewriters back then and yeah. I had no idea, but he was always, he would always let me fiddle with them. It was fun he would show me some of the things that he would draw or that he did draw or he would take me into the office and show me some of the cool pens and like the old school like i don't even know what they're called anymore but the old, you dip the pen in the ink and yeah, like ink and what the inkwell yeah the, i still have hit one of his original ones that he had um like a fountain pen isn't that what it's called i don't know yes it's a fountain pen yeah <laughs> um yeah eric Eric would geek out about all the cool things that he had because he saw them too and he would do some of his drafting things. So he kind of would pull Eric aside and be like, look at, look at all this stuff. <laughs> and, <what> I <laughs> yeah, and Eric would be all interested in it. And I'd be like, can we move on to something? But no, he, yeah, he would show me like the tools more so. What do you think like brought on his love for maps? Like, I know you were saying he like was the, in the tailor shop and stuff with his friend, but like... I don't know, maybe it was more along the lines of his, or his likes to travel. Cause I know that he just thought of California as this like beautiful, which it is beautiful, sunshiny state. Maybe he just wanted to venture more. I would love to go back and ask him that question too. Cause I don't really remember. Or maybe what. like his love for knowledge. I know that he was just artistic and that's something that he was good at. So maybe he was also just utilizing the areas that, yeah that he enjoyed and since he loved driving and he couldn't maybe get to all these grand places country-wise like he just would go in and yeah and it and it's something too like when people think of art people want to think of like 
music or sculptures or paintings, you know, all the like normal things you would see in a museum. Yeah. But like there's other things that people actually take their time to put beauty in. Yeah. Like I don't know if you if you've ever seen like really old like well, I'm sure you have stuff he's worked on, but like there's so much detail that yeah. goes into it, especially if they're like trying to make the lay of the land and all that kind of stuff. It is very artistic. Yeah. And it's something that goes unnoticed, especially in today's world, because we're like, okay, Google Maps or yeah. you know what I think? It's like a lost art. Yeah. You know? He would always mention like how it was just so crazy and mind blowing to him that you could just generate that now. Like it what would take him days took hit, you know, you could just print off I think it was when MapQuest first came yeah. out. He like didn't trust it at all. My grandma was so excited. It was like highlighting all these different things and would tell him. He's like, no, no, no. I got to pull out my Thomas Guide. Like <laughs> he just like was totally against it because Thomas Guide was like very accurate, like down to the, I don't know. But coming from a different kind of life, Mort was able to appreciate the modern way of living in a completely different way than we ever could. As I listened to all of the things being shared, I tried putting myself in his shoes. It would be mind-blowing, maybe confusing and frustrating, but through it all, you would have to be willing to be able to be adaptable and to stay positive. And more than that, keep the most important things at the center. His father also died earlier, so after I think he enrolled in the army, he died um, from lung cancer. So that was always tough for on him, and I think maybe that's too what motivated him to get married and to be more strategic in the way that he had planned stuff because it was just his mom and his sister, and maybe he felt like he had to grow up a little bit faster too and provide in that way. Mm-hmm. Describe your grandpa in three words. What words would you choose? This was hard to narrow down. But I would say strategic. I would say strategic because he really was a planner. And I feel like I got a lot of that from him. But strategic plan in planning. But he was also wise. And with his time of how he did things. Like, he just thought them through. Mm. Um, and I would also say loving. He was really loving, giving of his time and his advice. He wasn't an extrovert by any means, and he was more of, like, a more timid, shy person. But once you got to really know him, he really opened up, and he loved sharing things with you. But mostly loving because, <laughs> because of my grandma. Like... If anybody knew my grandpa, they knew how much he loved my grandma. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was really intentional with her. And the way that he would hold her hand or open the door or anything he would do for her. Mm-hmm. Um, so you could you knew he was loved because of the way that he showed it to her mm-hmm. and to others. Mm-hmm. You know. Um and witty. <laughs> I was talking to my mom the other day about like, what are some of the things that you would use to describe grandpa? And she was saying exactly the same thing, witty, or she couldn't exactly pull the name, but same thing, funny, but 
the way that his funny was, it was just a different kind of funny. Like, um, he make fun of his own self, like Mortimer, for example. Like, it's such a, a random name. He'd be like, who would call their kid Mortimer? <laughs> like, what is that? Like, what am I supposed to do? And he hated his middle name. Like, it was just, I don't know. He just had a funny way of being funny. So it was, like, different. I like how she said she knew her grandpa was love because of the way he showed it to her grandma. I think it's safe to say Harriet, his wife, was his heart at the center. The safety Lisa felt and the trust. I don't think Mort was trying so hard in making this a point to be learned. I think he was just full of integrity and living out the vow he made to his wife. How sweet would it be to impact others around us just by simply doing what we say, by living a life of integrity? Back in the Bronx, um, they met at Poe Park, which is like a park in the area. I think it was through a friend, like a mutual friend. They both met there. But he'd always talk about Poe Park and them sitting on some specific bench that they would like meet and go to. And I remember like looking it up on Google, like trying to put myself in there, like, you know, the pictures, Google like Earth. And yeah, I could, it just really cool quaint just like a little neighborhood so just friends of friends and they would have planned their dates by meeting up in yeah the park. yeah it's really cute yeah it's such a different little lifestyle i guess yeah these high-rise apartments and then these little neighborhood parks and you know it shouldn't be old-fashioned yeah but that is very like rare mm. these days he's a true gentleman for sure and and that i like i do because i got to meet him a couple times mm. and i remember um just the way that they like talk to each other like um they're like little pet names and things like that and they were yeah. always like sweeter yeah. when they would talk to each other yeah and i remember as a kid like seeing those types of things with older couples thinking like that's an old people thing mm. like if you say honey or you know things yeah. like that yeah um but like now as an adult it's like it mm. makes your heart just... yeah like i hope to be there one day like yeah. they, they really were that like inspiring couple that I I look up to that even Eric my husband looks up to mm. yeah yeah just the way that I saw them interact and speak and the things they did and and just how my mom felt around them like that speaks volumes to or how my mom and my uncle felt about their parents and about how they just their overall well-being growing up like I just know that they had a good healthy relationship mm. There's a lot of things that I enjoyed doing with him. My grandpa loved to travel, but because that was kind of just costly, um, he would always get in the car and just drive. So I loved just like getting in the car with him and exploring. We would go to the beach because we were so close. We would go collect seashells. He would take me to South Coast Plaza to ride the carousel, like fun little things like that. Um, I don't know. And I... As I was thinking about some of the fun times with him, I, I was like, there's so many, but if I, like, if I was a picture in my head, it's of me sitting in the backseat of their car, like 
shoes off, a little blanket over myself and just staring at him like the side profile. He's holding my grandma's hand and we're just driving somewhere. Like it, there's music on. It's like Frank Sinatra's playing. Like that was the fun time, I guess. I don't know. I can't always remember where we were going, but that's just what I remember. in his security. Yeah. Um, that's a cool like picture that you can paint though because it's like, it sounds like old timey, you know what I yeah. mean? Like a movie scene. Yeah, and that's how it kind of felt in their home, but it was war welcoming. Like I, I don't know, I feel like a lot of our homes sometimes it could be cold and you think, oh, that's old fashioned, but I felt like it was just warm and it's something that I remember, like the sounds, the smell, having the blanket, which I still have, the blanket, like, they had like a little tiny travel pillow for me for in case, or in my brother in case we fell asleep in the car like you know 45 minutes as a kid you're gonna pass out so yeah i love the picture she paints describing being in her grandparents car you can almost hear the jazz music playing in the background it's somehow soothing and when i try to think of mort as a kid, I get the same kind of feeling. His aunt owned a, a diner, a popular diner in the area, and he would always talk about how when he was little, he'd go there to eat a lot, um, but he'd also go and he would over listen to like the police chiefs. It was a really popular diner, I guess, so there would be like politicians and the police chief would come in and they would frequent like a little area and so he would go to that area and kind of get the scoop of what was happening in the town so yeah he was really he loved like telling those kind of stories about I don't know I think they even like talked about like the mafia and like just crazy little things that were happening he's mind-blowing and being a little kid you know he just ate it up it was a seemingly more innocent time before he knew the chaos of our world and what he would witness in the war. When he was enlisted, um, when he enrolled into the army, he, um, a, a big part of, of that time there that he um, would talk about frequently was he was in France. He was dating the governor's daughter at what? the time. and was, He was at this fancy ball and he went away to the ball and um, when he returned home, the building that he was stationed to, to stay at, which also had his friends as well, was completely bombed and wiped away. And so, yeah, those, when he would talk about death and just like older and seeing all these things, he lost so many loved ones in that building. And he always thought like, why me? Why was I at this fancy ball and I returned home to this building that's completely wiped clean? Like, that was something that was really hard on him, too. Yeah. Yeah. The heartache he must have felt. As you know, during World War II, there was a lot of suffering. And Mort, a man of Jewish heritage, probably felt at that time that everything about him was under attack. How frightening it must have felt. And how lonely. Is it any wonder, after surviving and being witness to such tragedy, he only wanted peace and joy for his family? I mean, I remember, like, Christmas, because they were Jewish, didn't necessarily 
celebrate Christmas, but they tried to do the things for us to make things exciting. Um, my grandma would, would, uh, be a little bit more adamant about trying to teach us some of that Jewish heritage, but my grandpa was like, don't force anything on them. They knew that we were Christian and we believed and went to church and kind of things were a little bit different. And so he kind of tried to, he was a little bit more standoffish, standoffish in that area. Um, but for Christmas, they would, we would go to their house. They would always make steak or something not like extra nice. We never had anything like that back at home. Um, we got to open gifts and sometimes they would take me, um, to the temple for, for, um, Hanukkah, like before, after, um, and yeah, not too many tradition things, I guess. Did he ever explain like the Jewish? My grandma more so during the temple. He really wanted to kind of separate that. Why? I think he just felt like there might be too much tension, like I don't know, and I wasn't open-minded to it, too. I think I was like, no, Grandpa, I'm, I'm a Christian, and that's it. Like, nobody could persuade me, but I didn't I didn't know any better to, like, to tell them. Yeah, to understand or to listen or to just let somebody speak. I just thought, well, oh, this is a bad thing. I shouldn't, mm. I shouldn't listen to this because it's not what I, this person thinks, and that's what I'm following. I don't know. I just wasn't, I was more naive. Mm. Did, how about as as you got older? Did you ever kind of have those conversations? A little bit more so, more so in the long or along the lines of like as he was aging and he would see a lot more death and things were harder for him. Um, he would talk about how it was so hard for him to lose so many loved ones. Like it's great aging, but you also don't get to keep anyone around you. And he would see his whole family, his wife, his best friends, like everybody so he would always just question like you know god like why why would he cause so much pain or why would the good people get be the ones that are hurt or just things so there was conversations along those lines where we were able to t- discuss a little bit more about god and those reasons mm-hmm. um but we never really talked more about the jewish heritage and stuff I think that I always wanted to have a connection, but more on a friendship level was probably, it's so sad to say and hard to say, it was after my grandma had passed. Because I wish I, I would have had that time too with my grandma where I just sat there and listened, which I did, but I, I wasn't as intentional. Mm. And with my grandpa, once she passed, he was able to open up a little bit more. But he was being vulnerable, I think, because he kind of had to in a way. My grandma, before she would pass, or years previous actually, because she went through cancer several times, remission, and she would leave little sticky notes around the house or on anything, like pieces of bread or how to turn a light switch on, like just little love notes and and things of how to do something. And so he would be frustrated in those times when he was like, couldn't figure out how to turn on an iron or where to push the button for the machines, but there would be sticky notes. And so he was vulnerable in those areas. And so he was able to open up to me like, I can't figure this out. First it was the anger and then he was able to be vulnerable. And um, that's when we, I feel like started to build more of a connection. And I would come over to his house to try and clean it and tidy up to change his sheets and things like that. Because when she had first passed, he wasn't ready for anybody to be necessarily in his house. Mm-hmm. 
So I did that for a bit and then we would sit and conversate and he would try and take me out to lunch to kind of pay me back, you know, for the time spent cleaning his house. He felt so bad. And then eventually when he did feel more comfortable, they hired like somebody to come in and clean his house weekly. And, um, but we still kept our dates. So every Thursday we would still go out. We would sit at like, it was the elephant bar. I don't know if you remember the yeah. elephant bar. Yeah. Cause that used to be my grandparents' favorite place that they would go to. Really? That was, I was kind of hard to like go there at first, but then we would just kind of keep it a tradition. Then it eventually shut down. So we had to find new restaurants, which was fun for him because he was such a creature of habit. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, so during those times out over lunch, we would just talk about, you know, random things and what was happening in my life and, and how he was feeling the news. He was always reading the newspaper, like had his magnifying glass and like opened up sports was first. Like he was a big sports buff, but Really? Oh, yeah. Basketball but, fan, like, to the max. Like, what was never team? missed a game. The Lakers. Oh, of course. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that's why we all, my mom, she's a total Lakers fan. She got it from him. So, and when we played um, basketball when we were younger, my brother and myself, like, they were all for it. Like, they came to every game. They didn't miss anything. My brother was much better than I, so they tended to go to his games first, but nonetheless, like... Would he ever play against you or play with you? Basketball? It, yeah. Every once in a while. <laughs> I, it wasn't my favorite sport. I kind of just did it to burn some energy. So he's more playing against my brother. Watch that. A lot of the time, actually, too, our bonding, we would go on walks around his neighborhood. And they had a really cool walking trail that we would just leisurely go through and look at everything. It was a lot of fun, too. Walk and talk. Yeah. And his area... Um, the, for the later years of his life was really like quaint and the area kind of had tons of birds and it was just, it was a really peaceful little community. Like the trees were also different, kind of took you away to like a different space. So like the walks were just, I don't know, maybe it was cause I was with him too, but it, it just felt different. Like they're really nice. Mm. I do remember that actually, like when, uh, I had come up to your grandparents' house for like Thanksgiving or something. Mm. And we went in for a walk around Dana Point. Yeah, we did that a lot. We always went down to the beach and looked at all the boats in Dana Point. Yeah. Yeah. And he, he was very that. classic. Like, he had his pea coat. Yeah. And he, like, he just looked like a Frank Sinatra man. Like, yeah. you know. And he always carried his hat. My grandma mm -hmm. would get on him his about hat. his hat. Because he did get skin cancer and um, always had a cover-up, always had sunscreen. So, Yeah. Yeah, his gentleman style went all the way down to his clothes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I love that, though. Yeah. It's always easy to remember the sweeter moments, but sharing the painful ones help us heal and strengthen us in our grieving process. When we had our first son, Easton, in 2019, we came home from the hospital, spent a few days, and my mom stayed with us one of the evenings and she was randomly she had a little tracker on his phone and she pulled up her phone and noticed that he was um somewhere in the middle of the night just randomly driving in the car because like i said he loved to drive so he would just drive places which is why my mom got the tracker just for safety purposes mm. because during that time that he also was alone he would just take his dog and hop in the car and go but it was late at night so something was different 
and she was tracking him. She was up all night and it was in the early morning of the hours. And he, I think he walked into a hospital and then just walked out and my mom went and answered the phone. And so that was like the earliest start. So 2019 of him just forgetting what he was doing. Didn't know why he ended up somewhere. Like he understood that he got into the car, but he would forget that whole time of what he was set out to do and then how he got home. Um, and it just got progressively worse over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, and they eventually got him a 24-hour care t- caretaker. And I want to say more so during actually COVID. Mm-hmm. And I think COVID brought on a lot of things too because he was isolated. We were nervous mm-hmm. if we should be around him. We just had Easton. Um, we didn't want anything bad to happen to him. Um, and so he had a caretaker and a couple of the caretakers really, um, didn't really motivate his brain in any way. They just were there to be there. Mm -hmm. Um, and eventually he did get somebody to kind of come in and they would play those little, um, you know, remember that big disc and it would have different colors and you have to... You have to do the pattern. Yes. I understand. I know he what had that. They always played it and this lady brought it back out. And that's really good for memory. Mm-hmm. And so it kind of gave him a little spark of excitement again. Um, but it just it got progressively worse. And then um, he had a couple falls and the falls landed him into the hospital. And during that time, you had to have your COVID vaccines. Um so they gave him a COVID vaccine and within a week, his body just couldn't handle, I don't know, the effects from that. And he went down really quickly after that. Mm-hmm. Because prior to that, that I know of, maybe my mom did. We didn't know of any like middle of the night drives or just him being unaware of his circumstances or his whereabouts. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I mean, Maybe he would forget about picking up cereal from the store or whatever it may be, but we didn't understand anything further, I guess. I mean, it's a miracle that he even kept that phone on him, if that's all the tracker that he had, you know? Yeah, Yeah, and sometimes he would forget, but my mom also would have some cameras thereafter, Mm -hmm. and she would see, okay, you know, when you get home, place your phone here so that the, the camera could see like his phone was there or it wasn't and if the tracker shows him somewhere else or whatever there was a tracker put onto his car because eventually he did forget his phone mm-hmm. um it's stressful yeah it was stressful for sure for her mm-hmm. i th- i think because of his age i was able to slowly cope and that because i was intentional at the time that i um had with him after my grandparents or after my grandma's passing, I slowly prepared myself, like sitting with him, like, gosh, I love you so much. This could be the last time I see you. Like, it's such a bad way of thinking, but I like, I don't know. I kind of did that with my grandma too, a little bit, even though that was more sudden in a different kind of circumstance. Like it gave me a little bit longer. Like, you know. You became more aware. Yeah, you know somebody's getting up there in age like eventually something Mm -hmm. is going to take them down quickly and so it was like a slower process so the coping I seemed a little bit easier than my 
my grandma. Yeah. I mean, he did live to be yeah. 98, Seven. Right? 97. Almost 98, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, 97 is a long life. I know, yeah. But to the second part of the question, how am I coping with it? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, just by talk, this, talking about him, it was fun to, like, think about these questions. Again, going back to intentionality, like, I think about him all the time, and but I sometimes, as you ask the questions, like, then I'm, like, able to dive deeper. Like, well, why did I feel this way, or what sparked, why is this memory so exciting for me, or whatever. And when I, like, one of the times when you asked me what was your favorite memory, like, I had so many, and it just reminded me, like, not necessarily, like, the memory of, but just, like, seeing him in that moment. The presence. Yeah, the presence of him. So talking about him Mm -hmm. is coping. Thinking about him was hard and coping, or able, helping for me to cope. Mm -hmm. When we can process our grief in a healthy way, we make more room in our hearts to be able to remember the joy and to continue experiencing that love in our lives. Oh, he was so excited. He loved Easton. Um, he always wanted to play peekaboo. He'd always say, I see you, I see you. So every time one of them says that, like both Eric and I look at each other like, oh, grandpa, like he would have just continued to play that game um I mean as a little kid you get a little timid and and shyish so eventually when Easton was able to open up and get more excited and play back with him like grandpa was just super excited and you know Mm -hmm. um playful with him but then again um COVID and some of the restraints we didn't get to see each other as often as we would have liked and that was a lot of Easton's growing up time too, so he didn't really see too much of that. Yeah. But I remember when he was in the hospice, um, being with him, and they told us things weren't looking good. And my mom was like, oh, he so badly wants you to have another one. And because we had gone through infertility and we were really trying for a second, I was like, I know, like I wish I, wish I could talk to him or tell him. And I was holding him his hand when he was, on his his bed in the hospice and he was he wasn't conscious um, maybe he was I like to think that he was mm-hmm. still there with us and um my mom was just talking about another kid and how much he would always talk about it and he can't wait for you to one day have more family more kids and and I was just like praying and talking to him and I was like oh you know Easton this and he loves you and just whatnot and he kept, I felt like he was squeezing my hand. And they kept saying it was because he was in pain or whatever. Like, and I, I was like, I felt him just like holding me tight. And I would squeeze back. And I was like, I know you're there. Like, I know you're there. And we would talk about kids and, or I would speak to him about it. But, and then I went home that day, which was the last time that I saw him. And I felt just like sick. And I thought it was overwhelming of emotions I had drove from santa barbara to orange county to back to riverside all in one day 24 hours to like be with him and i hadn't eaten not drank i was like i just felt so sick and the next day i still continue to feel that way and i was like i just need to take a pregnancy test 
And I did, and I was at home with Easton, and I was pregnant. Mm -hmm. That's when I found out, and I'm just like, like, I don't know. Not that he knew, but it was just like, it felt so, like, surreal that I'm, like, losing my grandpa. We're talking about it. He's holding and pinching my hand, and, like, I find out the next day. Mm -hmm. And he was still alive at that time the next day, and I so badly just wanted to go back and scream to the mountaintops but nobody else knew and I'm just like I'm pregnant you know like it's just crazy and mm-hmm. so Hudson our second has his well they're my grandparents last name because I mean that's his middle name yeah to carry on their legacy in in a way mm-hmm. I just I I always think like those kinds of connections are like it can't be by coincidence, right? You know? Like it's it's too like perfect. You know the, what I mean? Yes. The timing and um, I love stories like that or hearing like connections like that because it just makes you feel like this this world is not by chance. Yeah. You know? um, I f- yeah, and I and Hudson. Like if you look at at him and you see. Um, what my grandparents' side looks like. He definitely looks like their side more. So he looks like my mom and and my grandma and grandpa. Like he has that frank, like just appearance about him. His little curly, fluffy hair. Like mm-hmm. it's just I don't know. It it does. It just seems yeah. like it all. I, obviously, it's meant to be, but it it just fits perfectly. Mm-hmm. But I think he really wanted and instilled people, well, myself, my brother, my mom, to be self-sufficient. He had a love for people, but he really wanted people to have a drive and a motivation. And if you don't know something, learn it. Education is super important. When I was growing up, um, they would always instill, like, education is everything. Because at that time, it really was, like, you had to go to college or, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. But um, they started a little college fund for us and every little side quarter recycling thing that they would do, they would go and they would put it into our college funds, my, myself or my brother. So he was really um, for education. So he just really wanted us to better ourselves, be so self-sufficient, driven. Um, when did they start that for you? When I was little, like, I think, like, one or two. Wow. Yeah. But, like, there's so many things I remember along those lines. I remember on our drives to the bank, he would always have me um, pull out his Thomas Guide because he loved maps. And I would be his little co-pilot. And we would drive to the bank to go deposit my college savings or whatever. Um, And I remember one time sitting in the car and asking him, questions and I was like grandpa I have two big questions I need you to answer and he's like yeah sure of course (laughs) so I was like okay you're gonna be honest with me and he's like uh yeah and I was like okay one how much money do I have in my college savings account because I thought like (laughs) I'm gonna be rich from these quarters right like it's I'm gonna not have to worry about college it's gonna be great and two I asked him if Santa was real and he didn't answer either. He told me one day I'll find out about my college savings account and I'll have to find out about Santa eventually. <laughs> I was like, you told me you were going to be honest. But um, yeah, he was really a big driver 
of education. Um, so I would say that, um, and to laugh, I would think that he would want his legacy to be known as laughing. He, since he was witty, he tried to make people laugh in different ways. Um, but him and my grandma laughed a lot and they had signs all over the house that would just have happy faces or live, laugh, love, or, you know, those like cliche things, but laughing was like a big part of their home. Um, and he was funny in the way that he did things. So I think he'd just want you to enjoy and laugh. And I think that's also what brought him to 97 years old. Mm -hmm. And that's also what I think brought their marriage to 61 years. Like, you know, I have to say, I think she's right to lean into joy, to lead a life that is joy filled. It must be something chosen intentionally no matter the circumstance. And isn't life so much more worth living when we make our mind up that it is? Well, we talk about him a lot. Um, we have pictures, like picture books that we go through and we talk about him and, and things that we used to do together. Um, but I, I feel like he's given me more so that like, understanding of being a little bit more strategic and planning and a financial background. I am very much a thinker. I don't just buy things randomly, sometimes to my own fault. Like I'm just more intentional because I saw what that brought to him as well. Like he, he, he retired, I think at a, a well age, a little bit before 65, like he was able to sustain himself until 97 he they traveled like he didn't he didn't have or come from a lot of wealth but he was just smart with what he did have mm -hmm. and so I feel like some of that um generational wealth that he, or the small savings college account that he saved for me is something that I would like to do for our boys one day not necessarily for college but try and give them just a little something that we have saved for them purposefully mm -hmm. Um, I just want to be purposeful as he was. And prepared. Yeah, prepared, yeah. I mean, I, I feel like that that kind of initiative and that kind of intentionality, um, you know, that that's, it speaks volumes of what he wanted for your life and what he expected mm. for your life you know like yeah we can always kind of say like oh I want the best for you or you know whatever but like he was really intentional in trying to make that happen yeah. for you and yeah. like that's just like that shows his heart yeah and that shows like how much you know not just expectation but like what he saw in you, mm. you know, and in, in, in that kind of loving way. It's it's really neat. Yeah. I mean, even for his, his kids, like in the years prior to his passing, he fixed up his home. Like and we're like, What are you what are you doing, grandpa? Like he painted it, he put in new windows, new flooring, like all of these things and he was saying like the intention was so that the house could be rented out so that he could pass along something to his kids mm -hmm. and hopefully it would be passed on to their kids, my brother and 
um, myself. Like he was just thoughtful of the things that he did mm. for those around him. He really thought of his future. Yeah. Mm. Then I didn't get, I wasn't in that mindset of thinking more intentionally mm. and you know as I got older I was like he lived long like he had a life yeah. you know and it's like I wish I like I remember seeing certain things in his little den area and things that he kept from his years and I didn't even know what they were yeah um but they looked cool very antique and I would think <laughs> like you know that's cool and now I'm like I wish I could have said what is that or you know yeah <laughs> show us what it does or yeah something um because he probably had so much to share and you know just like the value of stuff that you're sharing right now is like it, it's super impactful because he was like I didn't get to know him in that way but he was a person who seemed very full of integrity and very just just straight and narrow like you know and and not willing to be deterred and that's so admirable and so just something to look up to you know yeah and um he was definitely a good male role model for me because I feel like that wasn't modeled too much outside of the church that we grew up in so it was it was nice to have that especially my grandpa you know and to know that it's it's a character yeah you know it's not because someone's saying you need to do it or whatever but like this is how we live because of of the value it brings for the rest of your family Mm. you know yes something like really cool to see and know and be proud of yeah he was a good man (laughs) so thank you for sharing and you're welcome thank you for having me thank you our world is and always will be ever-changing it's out of our hands out of our control but what we can control is ourselves We can control our mindset, how we operate, our heart's intentions. We take for granted sometimes the things that we have and even the people we love. We can get distracted, but we must remember to keep our minds and hearts centered. If we remember or learn anything from Mortimer Lawrence Brink. I would say, in this ever-changing world, it's possible to live a joyful and love-filled life if we set our intentions to do so. But his heart of integrity made it so much easier for him to accomplish. We can forget as a people how far we've come in the last hundred years, but we need to remember it all comes down to the heart. Getting to share real life stories of inspiring human beings 
has been enlightening and healing to me and I hope it also has helped uplift you. With this last episode of the season, I hope you are encouraged to live your life a little more courageously. Remember, you are loved. You have a purpose. And you are impactful. So please, Be intentional and lean into a heart of gratitude. Remember This Forever is brought to you by Breathe Yogi, a brand that believes in the power of people living intentionally. To learn more, you can follow Breathe Yogi on Instagram or visit breatheyogi.com.